a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome in, friends. Howdy. Howdy, she says from Wyoming. Howdy it is. <laughs> Happy early Valentine's Day. Oh, Between this yes. episode and next episode, we will have Valentine's Day. So the holiday of love, or if you're a skeptic like yes. me, at least about the holiday itself, happy red chocolate day. <laughs> I used to celebrate Singles Awareness Day on this day. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember you saying that in high school. Yep. And I would fun. give every single person, like, I probably had 50 plus Valentines in my backpack that I would hand out to friends and teachers. And yeah, um, yeah. That's very fun. What are y'all drinking this week? Uh, I'm drinking a coffee. I made myself an AeroPress. Uh, I've got an Ethiopian whoosh whoosh from Cafe Hagen here in Seattle, <gasps> which if you live in Seattle, oh. I think is the best new coffee shop. They've only been around like a little over a year and they are fantastic. So coffee is tasty. Fun fact though, um, I was driving there the other day because my friend bought me a shirt in the wrong size and so I was like, going to exchange it. Actually, I'm wearing it right now. I just realized. Nice. And on my way there, I'm driving on this road that I've definitely driven on before in Seattle. And I see on the side of the road, like an adopt a highway sign. And, but it was like for a road, not for a highway. It was just like a road. And it said, this road maintained by a community group of Mars Hill Church. Oh, what? And I was like, what? Like I almost stopped and took a picture of it because I was like, wait a minute, hold on. Like I'm sure it was at some point, but like this sign either hasn't been updated in seven years or this community group is still thriving. And either way, (laughs) fascinating. Speaking of which, keep your eyes peeled on the feed for a bonus episode where we are going to discuss our reactions to the Mars Hill podcast. It's going to be called the Rise and Fall of yes. the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast podcast. Thank you. This is my so, favorite bit of branding uh, I've you, ever you'll done. You'll hear a bonus teaser in the feed once we post it, uh, but that full episode is going out to our Patreon supporting community. If you are mm-hmm. one of our patrons, you will already have a link to that private feed. And then we're going to be hosting a live event together on Discord to talk about it. That'll be in March. So keep your ears peeled. And if you want to join the community, either to get the episode first or join for the live hang in March, that is patreon.com slash Ravelpod. And for as little as $3 a month, you can get on on the fun action we have in Discord. A lot of good people in there. A lot of people I enjoy spending time with. It's very good. But uh, Uh, Emily, (laughs) what are you drinking? Yes. That was a long answer for me to say, what am I drinking? (laughs) Yeah. It's a coffee. I'm drinking, I'm on this two drinks an episode kick. I yeah, don't, you are. I don't know why. I love it. It, it. it just is. I love it. It's a new part of who I am. I've accepted that yeah. reality. You're drinking for two. I'm drinking, I'm drinking for two. Well, one is for me and it's an alcoholic beverage. <laughs> it's just a good old pear cider. Nice. Just, yeah, just good old cider, good old alcohol. Um, but then I also have for my baby. A body armor. This flavor, though, however, is strawberry banana. 
So nice. Mix it up a little bit. Yeah, I think she'll I think she'll like that. It's very good. I'm enjoying myself a Seagram's ginger ale today. What's the uh, COVID update? Can you taste this one? No, no. It's classic. Uh, it's a different quality of bubbly than the LaCroix was last episode. But yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at. I, my taste is still about, yeah, 10%, 15% maybe. Um, I want to talk about something that has been like always an interest of mine. And we as a group haven't talked about it on Ravel yet. I have no idea where this is going. Yeah. I, what is about to happen? I want to talk about um, music and the role of music Ooh. in our theology in, in churches. And eventually I want to get to what we call the CCM or the Christian music market, the way that music gets out there in our capitalist system for Christians and stuff. But considering that the three of us are drummers, I thought we could just start with uh, how Wait we... a second. Are all three of us drummers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Reminder, Josh and Emily don't really know each other. <laughs> That's beautiful. Wait, Emily, how long have you played drums for? Because you mostly played in high school, right? Middle school and high school and college, actually. I played all four years in college. Yeah. Church music? Do you play church music at all? I, act- I actually do play in church. Yeah. Oh, you do? Currently? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So good. Yeah. See? I will admit, I've been thinking more about music <laughs> lately, too. So this might be fitting. Like, I have been thinking about, like... I'm ready. A significant portion of my life used to be playing drums in church. Like I have played drums at outside venues, like when I was in a band, but like, which I also miss, but the majority of my drumming has been in churches. Like that's where I learned. That's where I thrived. That's where I like learned a lot of creativity and like, yeah, like interesting stuff. And from what age did you start, Josh? Uh, 14. Very self-taught. Nice. Yeah. Oh, no musica. I cannot read the musica. You can't read it. You never took lessons or anything. Well, I, I did take lessons in college, actually. Okay. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. So I can read like very, very basic beginner drum score. I like but that. But probably not anymore. I like that. Kind of an evolution oh. of the skills. Yeah. I started playing drum. My dad played drums since he was in high school. So I grew up in a house with a drum set. So probably by age five, I was already messing around on the kit. So Jeez. I grew up with music and it was, it was a huge part of my life. Until I left college and moved into apartments. And then it turns out drumming is kind of frowned upon. And to be honest, I kind of miss, uh, I've been missing that part of my life, especially since leaving our last church where I was a worship leader. Yeah. So beyond just, you know, where we picked up these skills, how would you describe your relationship to like practicing and performing music? Like what kind of connection do you think that offers you specifically to? facets of your faith or spirituality Hmm. Hmm. emily i want to hear your answer first because you are still currently involved in church music yeah oh man you know performing and being a part of worship in multiple ways like as a pastor it's one way but when i play drums like yes i'm still the pastor but i i'm taking on like a different role And I think it's because I'm actually participating in worship in that avenue, whereas as the pastor, like I'm facilitating worship. And so when I get to play drums, I feel connected to the divine in a way that's different. And it's something that I haven't experienced in a while. And I think it's because I'm preaching (laughs) most of the time, you know, like I can't 
Hmm. I can't really think of a time when I last attended church and actually got to participate and experience worship and feel a connection to the divine in a worship setting. Wow. Because every Sunday I'm preaching. Like I'm <laughs> I don't get to sit and like discern like I'm discerning while I preach, but it's not the same as when I would attend a church service. So for me, even if it's one song, two songs, whatever, when I sit at the kit and I, you know, grab my drumsticks and we hear the piano start and then our music director starts singing and she has a beautiful voice. Oh my gosh. Kennedy Core, shout out to you. If you're listening, you are amazing. I just feel like I'm in a worship space and I get to just be present. And then the song's over and then I go back to facilitating worship. So it's kind of a sad, kind of bittersweet feeling, actually, for me, now that I'm thinking about it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, pardon the pun, but that definitely resonates with me here. Hey, nice. The, uh, <laughs> you get it? Resonance? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Good um, one. Like, I, as much as I have complicated feelings, and maybe we'll just, like, get into this more, but, like, complicated feelings about church music, like, I do think that drumming in church is such a unique experience. Mm-hmm. like it's like it's incredible like how much you can do tonally with it like for a while i was listening to the worship drummer podcast and he was interviewing like lots of quote-unquote bigger name drummers from like bigger churches and what is influencing their creativity and like expression and like it is really different from playing in a band like playing in a band is fun and also creative but like when you're like setting the tone in the atmosphere for a room for people to be spiritual like i do think it's distinctively different mm-hmm. and fun like i kind of miss that but i do still have complicated feelings about church music and like theology and music and it's weird oh yeah yeah absolutely i've always found so so like i've participated in church music and like as they say like using my gifts as an offering for worship or whatever in a variety of different ways like i've i've played bass piano guitar i've led with singing and that's that's eventually where it kind of evolved mostly into where I was more or less the the front man at the church most weekends with the acoustic guitar and rocking out with with singing and leading. But I agree that the drums offer just a qualitative, you know, as cliche as it can be, like d- there's something that just feels so like primal about drums and so ancient and just like, ooh yeah, you know, just that feeling of just like like the bass drum vibrating or you just like slamming the heck out of a floor tom for a second like there's something that engages your whole body with drumming obviously with just the interdependence of all four limbs but there's something that feels different to me about playing drums for church than playing guitar and singing ever did which i enjoyed but it it was certainly different in its own right yeah and i think my connection to drums like I've always been fascinated by the way that uh, church, for what I can tell for centuries and millennia, is the place that a lot of young musicians get trained inside of. Like even thinking about the classicals, like the reason we know Bach and Beethoven is because they were writing for their churches. Well, and look at even artists who have stepped away and like are now pop art, like Katy Perry and... You know, people like that where they predominantly played in churches and now they don't. Yeah, that's right. When I first started playing drums at my previous church, I wasn't invited to this church meeting because I wasn't a member yet. But what I heard was that this lady who was a uh, member at the church gave a very impassioned speech about 
how the incorporation of drums into worship music was the devil's music and was not acceptable. <sighs> and I think oh. that she ended up leaving. I don't actually know who it was, but it was just kind of wild to me <laughs> that like that sentiment was still out there. Like I get that like nobody likes change. And in some ways I like, I do agree that I think that drums offer a very unique psychological reward. Like I think that it is the drums and the bass, like you were talking about Steven, that like really gives it, a concert type feel because yeah. it's so like resonant and like catching and mm -hmm. so like I see I can see someone like well, making... and they just stick out on a different frequency yeah 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 there's just frequencies man um but like I okay I, well <laughs> it does make sense to me why <laughs> someone would look at that and be like uh that style doesn't fit what we're doing here but like mm. I but I also don't think it's manipulation strictly like even if it's like psychologically rewarding in like our dopamine centers that doesn't mean that like people are trying to manipulate you through the drum and bass but also that that is allowing negative connotation to come with manipulation and that totally it, in the in the case of music i don't think that deserves to be a negative connotation i think composers know exactly what they're doing when they score an orchestra a certain way um mm -hmm. uh even to include like you know like my dad and i used to perform as substitute percussionist for the billing symphony and like it was it, like they would they would schedule their whole year around scores that have a percussion section and scores that don't mm -hmm. because some people mm. just don't write for percussion a lot of the time yeah. it's like big strings and small winds but no percussion so like it was a big deal at the billing symphony to include yeah we actually need a snare drum and a bass drum and a marimba and you know a gong and timpani but that being said, Josh, you're making me, uh, or you're reminding me of the thoughts that Kevin had when he guested a while ago on oh, Ravel. Yeah. You know, just that sense of like, yeah, we know what we're doing when we incorporate drums and bass. Like, I would even argue that the movement from like 80s, 90s, and early 2000s to now, like a lot of worship drummers do a lot of jamming the floor, Tom. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's because we all know or like somebody is tuned into the fact that those low frequencies rumble and those make you feel things like mm -hmm. through your feet. You feel that vibration through the amps and like it mm. inspires a different emotion than like a full on jam like cross stick across the hi hat with the snare. It's just different. Yeah. Also, there's a reason that a lot of worship bassists grab five string basses now because they like to ride that low B string a lot. Mm. So I don't have a problem necessarily recognizing that those are manipulating, but I, I don't think that's bad. I think it's just musicians know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, what do you think about a different kind of manipulation, like f changing the phrases of a song, either secular or worship music? <laughs> like for instance, I watched... <laughs> A service today for the first time in a while. I watched this service by Good Shepherd New York. David uh, Gunger from The Brilliance mm -hmm. leads worship there. Um, and it's like very artful, like really good musicianship, um, especially for being digitized and remote. But they did two songs today. One was One Love by Bob Marley, and the other one was uh, One Love by, I think, like U2 or something like that. Yeah, right. Like similar phrasing. But, like, they clearly changed some of the words to be Christianized. Mm. So, like, I've seen that mm. happen. And I've also seen multiple worship leaders change the words of theological songs 
Uh-huh. Like whether it's like the whole unforeseen sloppy wet argument or <laughs> yes, a classic. Um, like that's classic. <sighs> or like uh, one of my buddies would like change the the words of a song because he thought it felt too predestiny and he didn't believe in that. Yeah. And that's right. interesting to me. Like changing the theological bent of a song. Hmm. And I used to be really into that, but now I'm like, I don't know. Like I hear the argument about like a song not being quote unquote accurate to what you believe. Yeah. Or like a good fit. Yeah. But I'm not sure if that's always the the move or not. I don't know. Man, the changing of the lyrics though, like I think Sloppy Wet is just a very funny example of people just like it reveals how people can get uncomfortable. <laughs> right. But yeah, I I don't I don't know how I feel about like changing a song. I think my my first inclination is to like just say choose a different song. Don't rewrite the lyrics to someone else's art. Hmm. Because they they put the work in to say saying what they wanted to have said. Mm-hmm. Right. And they and they wanted to share that, you know, they share those chord progressions and those lyrics, but when you start changing it, I don't know. That feels Which icky then kind of gets into like people boycotting certain groups of music. Like I have at least encountered it a couple times where people like refuse to do any songs by Bethel or IHOP because they don't align mm. with it. Well, so Full disclosure, I stopped being a worship leader at my last church because we were starting to do a lot more songs from Bethel. Oh. And I didn't want to do that. Like I literally was getting to a point where like I was singing the lyrics and like I was having this cognitive dissonance experience of like I don't believe what I'm singing and now I feel like I'm actively lying to the people in the church. Ah. You know, like it felt very disingenuous for me to sing things that I didn't identify with anymore. Yeah, like I don't know if God's love is reckless or not, but like that song is so freaking fun to play on drums. It seriously is. It's so real, fun. It's Four, really six? fun to lead Oh my to. God. Yeah. I learned how to do some cool stuff in that song. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> what is one song that you have heard in worship settings um but now you just absolutely will no longer listen to it oh wow because there's got to be one for me it's like 90 percent of worship music <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. like i don't like listening to worship music anymore like not even like ccm but like i totally made like a really long playlist one time of like all the worship music i loved like from all these different bands like really different styles i don't want to listen to any of it anymore yeah mm-hmm. and i don't really know how to like describe that emotional feeling but i also get the sense that there's lots of people that can relate to that too so Mm. that's interesting there's also the other angle of that is just like the overplayed songs that i just can't stomach anymore oceans mighty to save are two hill song examples that i'm just like i played those so much in youth group guys that i just can't (laughs) i just can't anymore Mm -hmm. what about you emily Oceans is exactly that. <laughs> oh, boy. So Oceans is such a great example because, like, it's clearly written about a biblical story, like with poetic imagery, and like everybody knows that. Like, it's really clear what it's about, and it's it's like quote unquote like rooted in like biblicism, which mm-hmm. is what everyone seems to care about. Mm-hmm. But then, like, so many people agree that it's like overplayed, and, it, and like now it's cliche, and like all the white girls love it. But like, why does that even matter? Like, if you think a song is truthful or meaningful or like Mm, reveals yeah what you think is true about 
the person you follow. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. That is a complicated thing too, is because like, you know, I, I kind of got into it on Twitter. I got myself into it on Twitter earlier today, talking about opinions I have of a certain artist. And usually I'm pretty good about like holding this line myself when it comes to like, you know, I'm not a huge fan of country music, but instead of being like, I hate country and I think country is bad. I'm like, I get why country is popular and it's just not for me. You know, that's like my general Mm -hmm. philosophy is like, not for me, you know? Yeah. And I think that kind of ties into that sense of like, man, there's a reason oceans connected with people that much. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. there's probably a reason that it continues to. It's just not for me anymore. One of the things I think is super interesting about worship music, quote unquote, is like the variety of like types of songs. Like Oceans is not really singing to God the person. Mm. Like there's a couple times it like addresses like you called me out, but it's not like it's it's very different from the songs that are like talking about God to God, yeah. like you are mighty to save or like something like that, mm-hmm. which is also different from the songs that are like singing about God to a second person, like how he loves us. Yeah. Yeah. Or God's love is reckless. Like you're not singing to God. You're like singing about God. And then there's the songs that are like more about you. Hmm. And I feel like I've, I've heard so many people like critique those types and be like, well, like worship shouldn't be about you or like you should only sing to God or you should only sing about God. Like everyone like always seems to have an opinion about like what worship music should be, which is also like kind of funny to me because like our like sense of worship music is like so hyper defined to like the last 20 years in America. <laughs> yeah, that's really. very true. You know, Emily, what would you have to say about that? Considering like, I know the Methodist church does a lot more with hymnals and with some older traditional mm-hmm. music than Josh and I having our like Baptist church, non-denominational church experiences of like music from the two thousands. Well, I think my view is kind of limited, but what I can say is I think as worship leaders, it's important to understand theologically what's happening in the song. And this is to pay no disrespect to the previous music director at our church. Craig was wonderful. He was a very gifted musician. Um, He retired after like 27 years as the music director in the church that I'm serving at. But he was a performer. He didn't understand like theologically what was happening in the songs. And so sometimes like he would pick songs that like just didn't fit with the worship space, like what was happening in the sermon or, you know, things like that. Like holidays, he got that down easy because we have hymnals that have abundance of Christmas music and Easter songs and whatnot. But like Mm. other times it would be like, oh, we're talking about like forgiveness. And so in our hymnal, we do have songs that like kind of revolve around that. And you can use the guide in our hymnal to find those kinds of songs. But when you when you just pick a song because it sounds catchy or it's easy to play or you have the the musical ability to play that song because we have a flautist and we have a pianist and we have a bassist and a drummer and a singer and a whatever, you're kind of taking away something from worship in that essence. And so I remember when he retired, some of the people in my church who were on the committee to hire a new music director said, well, we can't, we obviously can't replace Craig, but we can sure try to find someone who, you know, meets his standards. And it's like, um, no, I want someone that actually is theologically inclined. Like, I mm. want someone who understands worship, who mm. understands like what is happening in a sermon when I'm talking about 
baptism or when I'm talking about forgiveness or when I'm talking about atonement. I want someone who theologically understands those things and can pick music surrounding those topics. And we've luckily found someone who does that. And she is so gifted. And we have such a great relationship that planning worship and like picking music is so easy. It's so weightless. And I know that like come Sunday, we're going to do our thing. Our bells played even today, you know, and like they picked great music and it just changes the entire worship space when you have someone who understands a song theologically. Hmm. So, and do you feel like you have more to choose from given that, you know, Methodism can lean into Mm -hmm. traditional hymns and contemporary music? Yeah, because we do both. We do traditional and contemporary. And it it brings in people who love both, you know, and I personally love both, too. We sang one of my favorite hymns today, old, old, old hymn. And, you know, one of my favorite contemporary songs, like I'm sure it'll be coming up, but I know that it'll be there because we have that space to to do both. Um, Yeah, that's cool. And that both can coexist nicely. Traditional and contemporary can be in the same world, you know. I like that. I like the like anchoring it in like the theological moment and being able to pay attention to that. I think that's something I feel like wasn't paid attention to all that much for me growing up. It was just like, these are the songs of the day. These are the songs that we know this particular congregation likes to sing. So we're just Mm going to sing them or we didn't have a lot of time to prepare. And these are all the songs that all the musicians know down pat. (laughs) So we're just going to play them. You know? Yeah, because it's all E minor CFG. Yeah, preach it. And I think that takes away from worship, like in my opinion. You know, and I'm not, I'm not discrediting. I'm like, it's great that there are musicians that are able to say, hey, I know this song, let's play it. Like, that's amazing. Good for you. But like, mm. when you just like last minute, you know, throw something together or, you know, you just say, oh, well, they like it. So let's just do it. That's not the, like, <laughs> that's yeah. not the point. Read the room. <laughs> you know? I like that. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, The Whiskey Bench. So Canada's already doing that. that yeah, sucks. they are already doing that. <laughs> that's and, that's, and that's why 
Yeah. They toe the line for what Trudeau says. Right, of course. There's no... It's, it's a huge conflict of interest. It's a huge conflict of interest. Yeah. Their funding, their bailouts, their advertisement funds... Yeah. ...is all coming from the government. And if you don't toe the line, you're going under. There's a threat you won't get your funding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which... And state-sponsored media a is a things, problem. <laughs> a lot of things run this way, which is unfortunate. Right. It's something to remember. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so here at Ravel, uh, it's pretty well known at this point that Stephen and I are a little coffee snobbish at least. Like, Stephen, how many brew methods do you own at home? Oh, golly. I think it's probably four or five. Uh, French press, arrow press, pour over. I have like this nifty camping pour over rig. Um, I do use a Keurig when times are tight. That's fine. Um, but right now they're not because I am drinking some delicious Highline blend coffee. Delicious. I need to get in on this action. I go to coffee shops all the time. I would love to be able to make coffee at home. So Revel Coffee, huh? They're Montana local, right? International award-winning roaster? Revel, nice. Absolutely they are. And they will ship a fresh roasted bag directly to your door when you order through the Highline shop at highline.network slash shop. Josh, what are some other problems you have with church music it sounded like you were fired up on a few i don't know if i'm like fired up but like i think i just have like mixed emotions about it sure yeah like i personally enjoy playing it although i will admit i feel like i felt like a very similar cognitive dissonance about some songs that like i would play drums on and i wouldn't sing to them like i would just like make a point to not sing to them because i was like i don't believe that yeah right so like i get the I get the mm. dissonance that leads people to change the words of songs or not play certain songs or like not play songs by a certain collective. And to be honest, I think that that's somewhat of a precursor to rethinking and raveling out or deconstructing your faith. Like, I think that it's like often in those like, like common daily occurrences of church where we first start to notice like, ooh, I don't know mm. if I like that. Mm. Do you all, uh, this is just like a thing that I catch myself doing. Like, do you all as musicians ever attend church? Emily, it's been a while for you, obviously, but like, you know, this experience of like attending church and sometimes it can be hard to like actually enter like a state of worship because like you're mentally just like critiquing everything the band is doing. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I was just yes. doing that today. Yes. I was watching yes. the live stream and I was like listening to the drums and watching the drummer and I was like, yeah. I don't think they used that drummer's track. That's not matching up to what the sound mm. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get lost <laughs> in that so often. Man, it's so it's sometimes so hard for me to focus. Totally. <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible. Oh, but yeah, having been definitely. in the world for so long, it's like, oh, I know this song. Oh, you don't know this song. <laughs> I sometimes attend this yeah. uh, choral service that's put on by an Episcopal cathedral here in Seattle called uh it's just like a compline evening prayer service it's it's really old mm. it's like 100 120 years old or something like that they've held it every sunday night it's open to the public the only time they didn't do it was like during the beginning of covid when like things were much more uncertain yeah well i think they weren't open to the public for like a year but anyway it's like it's a men's choir and they like pray a half hour evening prayer service every sunday night and I love it. I think it's beautiful and like it's cool to go multiple times and like pick out and like get used to some of the liturgy and like realize what's 
like staying the same? What's going to change? That's cool. Um, mm. And I think part of the reason I love it is because like I didn't grow up with that. And that's like a very different musical tradition than what I grew up with. Like I grew up yeah. with things being very DIY, like whether it was like even if there was a chorus of people, it was pretty much untrained people, like a piano, like nothing, nothing fancy. The band was like self-taught people usually. Yeah. In a group, everyone's just like, shout to the Lord. <laughs> mm-hmm. My mom's telling me to do like a weird drum fill. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think that's going to fit there. I don't know. That doesn't fit there. Nah. <laughs> One of the things that I love about my job is uh, the music. And I think what I love about it is like, I'll go into my office on a Tuesday, Thursday, you know, whatever day of the week. Um, And sometimes it's just me and the secretary. Sometimes there's other meetings going on and it's like the hustle bustle of the day. But then we have like our musicians come in, whether it's our pianist or organist who comes in and says, oh, hi, I'm just here to practice. Um, And I will stop what I'm doing to listen Mm -hmm. uh, because they are entering their own little world and they're playing along and they're practicing. And sometimes they'll be there for an hour or two. But like that's their gift to the church is like their gift of music. And I love that. And I think, you know, like we had one lady in particular who had asked me, is it okay if I play a little bit longer into the offertory before we actually like go into the doxology? And I was like, absolutely. Like you're playing music for us. Like you picked a song that is beautiful. Like you should be able to play it fully through and not just cut off because worship has to continue on and is scheduleized. Mm -hmm. You know, I love that people feel that they can just play and just be present and allow that space Mm. to happen. Whereas other churches that I've participated in, grew up in, it was very schedulized. We're like, oh, they're done with the offering. Okay, we move on to the next song. Or, oh, nope, we we can't do that. Can't do this. It was very rigid, very cold. But I think like music can change that space. Yeah, right. And I love love that feeling. I love that part of my job. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I mean like... That even happens in my living room when Dixie plays our piano. Oh, it, yeah. That just, it sets the vibe so hard. And it's just like, oh, this is a perfect night to sit on the couch and read, you know, and like mm-hmm. snuggle with it. I don't know. It's just, it puts you in a new mindset, which is, of course, like why music has been used throughout the ages as religious rites and, yeah, like services of that sort. Like, mm-hmm. I even remember being very excited the first time I read Psalm 150, where he talks about like the clanging of cymbals, because I was like, I'm a drummer. Mm-hmm. Heck yeah, the cymbals get after it. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know, just like being connected to even some like Old Testament culture in that way. I was just like, heck yeah, dude. Yeah. Which, what a tradition that is, right? Like the Psalms themselves, mm-hmm. music making in the Bible. Hmm. Complete gear shift. Because Josh, you've mentioned it a couple times, and this this is a an area I'm familiar with just because of my interest from like late middle school age, um, my interest in like heavy metal music and screamo and all that kind of stuff. I've heard the devil's mm. music quoted at me so many times because of that, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it doesn't come up nearly as much anymore. Do you guys sense that same mm-hmm. shift? Like, I feel like yeah. quite a few people are just like, yeah, I mean, music is music is music. I don't, yeah. I don't feel a huge disconnect between like Christian and, and quote unquote secular music anymore. 
I think it's partly because we're out at the church. Like, none of us listen to Caleb anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Do you, Emily? I do, but... Okay, well, most of us, the majority of us here don't She's listen. She's got to qualify, I, but... No, I listen to Caleb. I listen to Caleb, honestly, because I like to dissect theologically what's being sung. Like, okay. I'm in that stage of my... I'm in that stage of my life where I listen to a song and I'm like, what did they say? Like, what? So then I go and I look up the song and I'm like, oh, okay. So like, for instance, okay. Yeah. Tell me what's the best one you've heard recently. This is fun. This is a game. Sounds like a fun. Oh, recently? Oh God. What was that song? Um, (laughs) And I loved the OG Hawk Nelson, but new Hawk Nelson, I'm kind of like, meh. Yeah. Meh. Yeah. What's the song? Drops in the Ocean by Hawk Nelson. Classic Hawk one Nelson. one where I was like, wait a second. Like, what's happening? What's going on? <laughs> but I, I also like to incorporate secular music like into my sermons. And I have a great example. So I was talking about Jesus as king, prophet, and priest. And how like priest and prophet absolutely king some people thought was maybe questionable and so i made a meatloaf reference where i said because you know two out of three ain't bad r.i.p and yeah so many people right oh my heart breaks so many people came up to me after church and they were like you know meatloaf (laughs) so good i looked at them and i'm like have you met my father like i was indoctrinated into rock from a very young age and i sometimes find that Secular songs, theologically, there's a lot going on there that brings so much to a worship space. And then some of our Christian music today, I just bang my head against a wall and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, what is happening? <laughs> so yes, I do listen to K-Love. Some songs come on that bring me back to the good old days and so it's more of a nostalgia. But uh, totally. For the most part, it's really to dissect and to be like, what does Pastor Emily think of this song? Mm. Does this song fit into a worship space? What is being said to a parishioner if they were to ask me to play this song? Like, uh, lots of things happening there. So Interesting. That's mm. why. I defend myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess to answer your question, Stephen, I do think that there is less of a divide, probably. Like, there's not as many people freaking out about, like, Marilyn Manson and Ozzy Osbourne. and yeah. Like stuff like that. Yeah, making the literal sounds of demons. But also maybe like the theatrics have died down a little bit. Like I don't hear as much about people like going crazy or like trying to do stuff for shock value. Like maybe we're like past kind of that kind of stuff a little bit. Yeah. I do think there's also been like an increase in bands trying to go a little bit more secular and mainstream. Like Need to Breathe, Switchfoot, Reliant K. Like Mm -hmm. they're ones that like first got their following from a Christian audience or even Mumford and Sons too is kind of included in there. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Like, is there like the offspring of the vineyard the leaders offspring, yeah. in England or even like, like you mentioned like Emery, like yeah. there's a bunch of Mars Hills bands that are like continuing and like trying to leave that Mars Hill stuff behind them. Yeah. King's Kaleidoscope mm-hmm. is one of them. Citizens and saints. Yeah. So that's fascinating. I also think it's fascinating to like see for the first time an artist like Semler, Grace Baldridge, oh, like yeah. reach the top of the CCM mm, charts. That's right. As the first openly queer artist. Like, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. That's funny. It's really funny. Like, she's obviously like, like redeeming it and stuff, but like, 
<laughs> like, yeah, CCM is wild. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of which, because I just want to read you these uh, this tweet that got me kicked off on my Kanye takes on Twitter. Please. I found a quote from Rich Mullins, who I think we're all familiar with. Uh, his quote is, mm-hmm. the Christian music industry is a capitalistic endeavor, period. Which hits pretty hard, just like as a quote. I can feel that. I can get behind that. I mean, we're talking about charts. We're talking about, you know, week of album release sales, mm-hmm. all that kind of thing. Mm. And I can't, I can't get out of my head the weird thing that happened in 2019 when Kanye went Christian for a year. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Sunday service down in Cody. Yep. Yeah. Were you there for that, Emily? It was right before I moved. Oh, oh my gosh. Right it was right I after there. I moved away from Billings. Oh. He still had, well, no, he sold it recently, but he had property out here um, and he would come into town and people knew who, you know, you, you would know who he was. And uh, yeah, so that was, that was a thing. What I can't get out of my head is like, I, I was still going to church at the time and I just watched so many people just lose their minds over the Jesus is King record. And the whole time I like, I've never been a fan of Kanye's music and I didn't think Jesus is King was anything different or better as far as his music in my opinion goes. But, um, I watched so many people change their opinions of him so fast, literally because of the name of the record. Hmm. Um, and to me, marketing Mm -hmm. to me, like, yeah, it just felt like a marketing thing. I was like, Oh, Kanye knows where he is an untapped market. Yeah. And he's, he just gunned for it. Hmm. I feel like he is a great example of how it is totally a moneymaker but like lots of people would admit that i think and like say that that's not a bad thing which doesn't make sense to me but like like in the same way it's like like the rest of the music industry is a moneymaker but also like very few people are getting like crazy rich like kanye is getting crazy rich oh yeah he's worth more than a billion at this point i think which is insane but like he is the upper echelon of the music industry sure right like very few christian artists are getting rich i think What's fascinating to me to hear more about is like, like hearing about people's like rise and fall, if you will, <laughs> like in the <laughs> Christian music industry, like, like people like Gunger or David Bazan mm-hmm. or Joy Williams of the Civil Wars, like her interview with Dan Koch on You Have Permission was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Very revealing. Or I think of Jennifer Knapp too. Like my parents listened to Jennifer Knapp a lot and then she came out as lesbian a few years ago and i know people who just like straight up dropped everything she had ever done like Mm -hmm. they got rid of all the cds they had of her and it was just like what what are we what (laughs) i think that the ccm industry to me is a great example of people don't really care about personality and talent they care about ideology wow Ooh. No, like people don't really Ooh, care who that, Kanye is mm-hmm. as a person, but what what they cared about, like those people that were changing their minds all of a sudden, was that he displayed the words "Jesus is King" to the world. Yeah, in hopes that that's like going to convert someone yeah. or something. Like it's not, but like whatever. Or like people who dropped Gunger or Joy Williams or Jennifer Knapp like a hat because they started asking questions or like gave stances on certain issues that were in disagreement with what they previously believed. It is wild to me that someone would just like drop your love for someone's music after like finding so much meaning in it. Huh. But in on mm, the other hand, mm. I kind of get it. Like sometimes you like an artist for a while and then you're like, ah, it doesn't resonate with me anymore. Yeah. 
So yeah. right. I don't know. There's a couple sides to it. Did did you all ever hear of or even participate yourself in like like renouncing certain artists or mu- like with no. like CD scratching or CD burning or anything like that? Like Mm-mm. did that ever happen? Yeah. So this is my relationship to that is like one of my good friends in high school, like as we started getting into metal music, he had bought the messengers record from August Burns red and pressure the hinges by haste the day. And he was listening to them like nonstop. And one day he got home from school and his dad had like taken his CDs and scratched them with his pocket knife and like wrote him a note saying like why this kind of devil's music wasn't allowed. The only redeeming thing in this story, because that still pisses me off. The only redeeming part of the story in my mind is that his dad then (laughs) gave him the money back for like what he would have spent on the CDs. But still, it was like such a weird move to me. I was like, what? It, really? We're threatened by this? That's sad. Yeah, that is a weird move. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty wild. That was when the devil's music was especially concerning for everyone, I guess. Seems, yeah. yeah. So, Emily, you didn't participate in any very destructive music behavior. No, oh gosh, no. And I think it's because, like, my parents allowed my sister and I to express ourselves freely. <laughs> and, um, you know, my dad uh, was the front man for 7th Avenue Band for a very long time um, in Laurel. And so my sister and I, most weekends, we would go down and listen to him play in the bars and at street dances and, you know, 4th of July in Laurel and things like that. And on Sundays, we'd go to church and we'd be singing in the choir and my mom would be listening to us and we'd sing the hymns. And it was we had that freedom to explore music. And both my sister and I played in band. She played saxophone and I played drums. And so we were allowed to explore creatively what it was that we believed in and what we liked. And music was one of those things where, oh, gosh, I can't even tell you like my Spotify, my CD collection goes from A to Z. like. Any genre, jazz, country, Christian, pop, hip hop, rock, you name it. And I have it. Um, My parents could care less what I listened to. If it was distasteful in the sense of if it was talking down at someone, then they were like, eh, I don't think that's the song for you. But otherwise, it was, you know, listen to what you want. What do you think is the most common Christian song? That is like well known. That is like the oldest. Ooh. Oh, the oldest. Mm-hmm. Like I think Amazing Grace. I guess. Okay, That's, that was when what was, I was going to say. Yeah, I don't have it googled. But when do you think Amazing Grace became a hymn? Oh, that was like seventeen hundreds, wasn't it? Uh, I was written in the late seventeen hundreds. It was like first published as a Christian hymn in seventeen seventy nine. Yeah, which yeah. means that it probably didn't become popular for like a while. Oh, yeah, a, an organ bestseller popularized it in 1954. So, like, the popularity of Amazing Grace is, like, barely 50 years old. <laughs> and I looked up how, or not how great is our God. <laughs> That's Chris Tomlin. <laughs> I looked up how great thou art. <laughs> and uh, that was uh, first popularized in a German hymnal in 1914, and then in English, not until, like, it was published finally in a like popular hymnal in 1973 in English. Oh. Like it did exist, but like not popularly. And like, I feel like that just, 
super demonstrates like the modernity of Christian music. Uh, one of the things I wonder is, oh, if I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, we don't do Gregorian chant much anymore, right? We don't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> some of us might, but I mean, that was like that was early stepping stones into what modern music has become is because of Gregorian chant. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, like, yeah, point point taken, I guess. Well, it just makes me wonder if like Christianity specifically uh, seems to like have such a tendency to develop its own music. It's DIY. Like the musicians are mm -hmm. like constantly mm -hmm. developing. I wonder if there's such a drive for that, particularly because the lack of traditional folk music being ingrained in Christianity. Hmm. Like mm. there is traditional folk music ingrained in Judaism. Yeah. Like songs are just like hundreds of years old. Right. Yeah. Like Christianity doesn't really have that. I don't know. Like, or there's like regional folk music. It is just so interesting to me. Like that, like Christianity seems to always be developing its own music and its own preferences for music and, or not music. It's very diverse. And that's intriguing to me. Like, I don't, mm, yeah. to my knowledge, I don't know of other similar musical <laughs> diversity in other religions. There might be. I just don't know about it. I think to that point, Josh, I, in many things, I often feel like sometimes the church has been like the champion of like new technologies in a mm. way, you know, like I think of like even, you know, the first thing officially mass printed on the printing press was the Bible. Right. And we kind of talked about this on our like God has entered the chat episode about church technology, but I often feel like church music is very often kind of lagging behind the developments of like new styles in secular music. Mm. Like even with the diversity mm. of like, we're trying new things out. I think it's, I think it's sometimes like we're trying new things out because there were, there are actual pioneers out there, but it's, I don't often feel like it's the Christian church that is like pioneering music anymore. Yeah. Like it was Dave Matthews before it was Chris Tomlin. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, I don't think we're going to have, like, Bon Iver music in church all of a sudden. No, that's true. But, it, no. I, I mean, like, even with my favorite metal music is, like, it got, it was popular with the people that the church was afraid of for the longest time. And then someone was like, I bet we could reclaim this for Jesus. And then it was like, and then it was Christian metal, you know? <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's interesting, too. Do you think we're seeing a decrease in that as well? I think so. At least, especially in like the metal scene, very few bands anymore try to be explicitly Christian when they come out anymore. I think, I think for today was probably the last like huge band that was super all about like preaching from stage and evangelistic in that way. I guess maybe Memphis Mayfire acts that way still kind of lost touch with them, but like the bands I've followed, mm. even the bands that I started listening to because like, Oh, look, mom and dad, like they're a Christian band. They're singing about Jesus and stuff. It's not like whatever you think metal musicians scream about. Like <laughs> a lot of those bands have kind of just like slowly just faded out of the background in like the Christian scene explicitly. And now they're just like another band in the metal scene at large. I personally like it that way. Like it used to matter to me, I guess that like right yeah you know they're the vocalist is writing lyrics about some stuff that matters you know hmm. 
but now, yeah, I think I, I think I prefer when it's it's almost like separated. I think part of that could be an effect of social media too. Is like it used to be, especially the bands getting all about getting all into like the crazy antics, like pouring blood on themselves and stuff is like they would do those gimmicky kind of things to get attention because it used to be the only way to get attention was like magazines. Oh yeah. Whereas like social media is like, you can follow anyone for any reason at all anymore. So like you don't need to do the huge gimmicky stuff on stage to like get noticed by the journalists. It's like, I just start my, my TikTok, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then the, then the band gets to just be about the music again. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, Christian music is interesting. <laughs> it's weird. It, it even stuck it out to weird. me, Emily, when you, were, when you were listing genres, and then Christian was just a genre among like jazz and hip-hop and rock. And Christian, I was like, oh. Well, yeah, I would say like, it kind I, of is its own. I get what you mean, but it, it definitely just sounds completely different. It does. In my it, head. I know. It, it sounds weird. One of these is not like the other. Well, oh my. Thank you for the music discussion. I, it was about time, all of us being musicians in our own rights. Yeah. This was a good time. If you want to hear more about Stephen rambling on about music, you can follow him on Twitter, Stephen G. Henning. <laughs> yeah. He's got some good stuff on there. Thank you for plugging my Twitter. While I'm at it, bunch I can of, plug, bunch of hot takes. plug you at Josh Llewellyn on Twitter. Oh, um, <laughs> I look at you too. So cute. Yep. Emily's at Rev Reading House on Instagram. I won't push the Twitter too hard. It exists, but That's she doesn't right. use it. Yeah. I'm that person. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to tune in for our hot takes about uh, Mars Hill and their music, uh, you can still support us on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's patreon.com slash RavelPod. And we're at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. Well, I guess I'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah. Thank you for this. Emily, um, do you have a song for us? <laughs> a song? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Uh, okay, give us the doxology. Things. Just give me the doxology. Yeah, another Lawrence Welk song. <laughs> no, I was gonna say this is so we call it the friendship song, and it's we sing it at the end of service every week. Um, so no I'm way. gonna attempt to sing it, and if I butcher it, you can not find me and hunt me down. So plug your ears for those of you who do not wish to hear me singing. Consider it a joyful we noise. Will that's what i tell my choir that all the time they're like i didn't hit that note and i'm like don't worry it's a joyful noise it's all good (laughs) so here we go we will walk with each other we will walk hand in hand we will walk with each other we will walk hand in hand and together we'll spread the news that god is in our land And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Every week, that's how we end church. Amen. There you go. I'm into it. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench, where we pair cocktails with conversation. 
Whether we're diving deep into a meaty subject like the history of fascism, or why monetary policy drives inflation, or just bringing you the highlights of a crazy news week, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our wild world. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, and join us on the Whiskey Bench. Highline Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.